Rico rejecting the screen. Noah Koslov out here on the East Coast. Somehow he's awake out West. He's Adam Stenko, just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. So Clay Thompson's finished for the season, a torn Achilles as we record this. That news just breaking. And we're going to get into NBA draft talk. Who's going to win rookie of the year plus NBA draft coverage. Make sure you check out everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network. Not just because we just had the draft, but you get all 30 teams every single day on the Locked On Podcast Network. And what David Locke, Chad Ford, and the host of local experts pulled off on draft night, including Adam Stanko, was incredibly impressive going around the league, every single pick, big picture, micro, macro, all of it on the Locked On Podcast Network, the only place you could possibly get something like that. So let's start with Clay. The Golden State Warriors were a title contender. Mm. Now they are not. The Golden State Warriors cannot win the NBA title without Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, without that core. One of them, they're finished. It's unbelievable how good this team was going to be when you consider what what they had. So last year, right, decimated because of the injuries. So then they figure, all right, it's a lost season. So even when guys could have returned, looking at you, Steph, wink, wink, they still held them out. And in doing so, now all of a sudden, Jordan Poole, the rookie out of Michigan. You've got Eric Pascal, rookie out of Villanova, two guys who worked out with Don McLean pre-draft, good friend of the podcast. Um, their development was tremendous. And so all of a sudden you have these guys getting experience. Andrew Wiggins starts to learn the, the Golden State way. So think about the core that they were bringing back. Pascal Poole, as your younger guys infuse some energy, have this, this experience now that they've gained. Andrew Wiggins is your fourth best, fifth best player on the team. And then you've got Steph, Clay, Draymond. I mean, it's unbelievable what this Warriors team was about to look like. But what's crazy, Noah, is just and sticking on the court for a moment here. We can talk about what it means to the organization on the whole and, and how that news of impacts the draft and, and, and just how sad we are for Clay in a moment. But if you think about what he does on the court defensively, we always think about Draymond, but he's the other guy that's an elite defensive player in this league between his length and he guards multiple positions, allows them to do all the switching they do. And then offensively, of course, he doesn't require any dribbles. He doesn't require the basketball much, but if he's open, it's automatic. So he creates all this extra spacing and alongside Steph, it's become this dynamic duo, the best shooting tandem in NBA history. So you said it, you lose one of those big three, you're not going to be a title contender. They're not a title contender. They'll still be very good. But this team is not winning a championship with what the rest of the league looks like right now. Mm-mm. And Clay is as likable as a guy as there is in the league. I have never heard one person, coach, executive, player, say anything but, no, he's Clay's a great dude. Not even a, he's all right, or, hey, cool. No, it, it is, Clay's a great dude. Clay, he gets it on and off the court. Oh, and so I, no, I know. The- no, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you a story about this, actually. That, mm-hmm. that Clay at Washington State last year had his jersey retirement ceremony. And and think about it. Washington State wasn't very good when, when Clay was there. 
um, mm-hmm. plays for Tony Bennett. Much improved, I'm saying, like, isn't a Duke or a North Carolina or what have you. But he did – it was a major game changer for that program uh, for him to be there. Son of an NBA star, really talented player, and obviously turns himself into a lottery pick. But anyway, he goes back for his jersey retirement. And, like, all the Warriors talk about how they want to go, and they and they want to get up there. Steph Curry ends up ends up going up. They spend, like, the weekend in Pullman, which is difficult to get to anyway. It's not like you've got a lot of direct flights right into Pullman. But right. here they all come. They get up to the state of Washington. They celebrate. Steph's there with them, and they're hanging out for the weekend. Clay's going to practice. He's he's talking to the team. Then during the game, him and Steph are jumping up and down the entire game, celebrating. And then he's crying as he gives like a fifteen minute tearful speech. And it just summed up everything about the kid that he is just that's who he is. He he loves life. Feels very fortunate. And even though he's the son of an NBA player, an NBA star, like he also is a guy, though, that that appreciates where he's at. And so everything he does is sort of like that. And those stories are constant around the Bay Area. I just wanted to share that as well. Yeah, my favorite was from about three years ago, it was December of 2017, when Fox 5 in New York stopped him on the street to oh, interview him incredible. about the scaffolding. And yes. the reporter did not know that it was an NBA player, did not certainly didn't know it was Clay Thompson. And Clay's just talking about the scaffolding. So if you if you look up, <laughs> if you Google Clay Thompson NYC News or Clay Thompson scaffolding, trust me, that is that's a minute that you're gonna want to spend and then send it to your friends if you have not watched it yet. That's <laughs> yeah. that's Clay Thompson. And then when he gets on the court, he's got that killer mentality and he knows how to play on both ends, and just not having him around in practice hurts you 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 lose a leader and one of the 20 best players in the league you lose that to be around a bunch of young guys also before we wrap up on clay let's let's bridge this with the with the draft can nico Mannion fill any sort of void here left by clay because this isn't a if if they get the designated um, the injury exception, they'll probably get like nine nine and a half million. You, I don't think you're gonna. Maybe Kelly Oubre ends up there, but you're not gonna get Clay Thompson or even eighty percent of Clay Thompson. Knowing what you know about Nico Mannion being out there in the Pac-12 and seeing him play this year at Arizona, where does he fit in? Well, I'll say this that. Nico Mannion won't be the guy to replace him. I think Jordan Poole actually ends up getting okay. more minutes and and adds because he's a shooter. And, and he was playing sort of combo guard last year, but Jordan Poole's a guy that can play off the ball and shoot it. So his minutes go up. The one thing that could be of interest, though, Noah, Nico Mannion, who uh, I, I found out Steve Kerr's pumped to have. He was really excited, not just because Arizona grad mm-hmm. and Bruce Frazier is also an Arizona guy who's on on that staff. But just the fact that Nico Mannon is an explosive athlete, and people expected him to be a lottery pick heading into the season. And his first eight games, he was shooting lights out, was over 40% from three. And then the shooting sort of fell apart. His confidence waned a little bit. Uh, but he's he's an explosive guard, and he's got great vision. I mean, it's a steal to get him in the second round. He's one of those guys, I think, if if he had gone through a normal workout process, I think he would have proven that he can shoot it. And teams would have totally reversed course on him because athletically he's he's so talented. But 
Anyway, I think what's interesting is we could see a Nico Mannion playing point guard and Steph playing some two. I think that could be interesting where they just mix it up a little bit. It won't just be a case of Nico uh, dominating the ball, but his shooting just is just not where it needs to be consistently in order for him to play alongside, you know, at least to play the two spot. Um, And then, but I could see Steph Curry sliding over and playing the two and letting Nico try to drive and kick. We could, we could see a little bit of that. Coming up detailed thoughts on ESPN's draft coverage. But first, who's going to win Rookie of the Year? Been sucking down these Built Go packages in the ounce and a half. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, mint. Those three Mm -hmm. flavors. Take them about 45 minutes before a workout because you get that collagen protein that keeps me looking, as Adam said, not a day over 25. And it keeps him looking not a day over 43. And... Mm -hmm. So not only is that that protein easy on the stomach and good for the muscles and good for all sorts of vanity health purposes, but it gives you that kick of caffeine that can push you through a workout without that crash feeling at the end. So just your your body feels better. It's it's a workout gel and it's built go, the best one on the market, combining all those things into that little package, suck it down. Go work out. Visit BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Promo code LOCKED, 20% off, BuiltGo.com. Let's go. So before we recorded today, you said that you've done so many shows, including the the Locked On show on draft night with all Mm -hmm. the experts, national folks as well, Chad Ford, David Locke hosting. You did... Coach Nick's live stream, B-Ball Breakdown, and you've done so many other shows. I'm just, I don't think honored's the word, humbled's not the word, but it just makes me feel good that you would still take the time to do our podcast. Given that you've talked talked so much about the draft, and then you're up early, 545 out there on the West Coast, you're up with baby Skyler not even a year old yet. You're trying to tell her about what happened with Jalen Smith at 10 to the Suns and how much you like Tyrese Maxey with the Sixers at 21. Before we get to the rookie of the year pick, since you're so yeah. dialed into this stuff, yeah. what did you wake up draft-related thinking about this morning? What really stood out to me, and we've, we've talked about it, Noah, this idea that NBA teams, the number one metric, the number one statistic that they look at when evaluating player is age. The top seven picks in this draft, all 19 years old, every single one of them. The top three that we know about, Patrick Williams goes four, shocks the world, going to the Bulls, all those guys, 19 years old. And that's that's what the NBA is targeting. And so when you look at someone who I love, Obi Toppin, we we talked about him, can shoot it, handle it, really good passer actually, and then the most explosive player in this draft, the most wow clips that that you'll see, he jumps mm-hmm. out on the tape. When people are saying, "Oh, am I going to go Wiseman or Toppin? Is my potential five man or a Kongwu?" Like, what separates is like, "Oh, is what's James Wiseman going to look like in three years?" What's a Kongwu going to look like in three years? 
And, and, and that's sort of where I think is interesting. The age thing has just dominated. We see it every year. It's been years since it wasn't a one and done guy that, that went first overall, but it's, it's fascinating just to look at it and say every kid is is 19. They all fit that that same mold. The moment that an NBA team can get their hands on them, that's what they want. Age matters to them. And the other big takeaway, Noah, for me, is the one thing we knew going into the draft is that we didn't know anything. And the more I talked to guys around the league, everyone was saying how weird this year was because no one was in the gym to gather intel. And that's intel on players themselves and trying to figure out and evaluate the things that you see, that sweat equity that we talk about, right? That guys work so hard in the gym. Who's out working? Other guys, the Donovan Mitchells of the world, who looks different in a gym? It's not just always one-on-one against a chair, like I think that the, the public sometimes believes. And then the second thing was just intel on what other teams are thinking. So the other thing that's, that happened in the springtime when everybody's working out and they're working out in these groups is that the Celtics or the Heat will – we'll call the workout gurus or they'll call coaches and say, Hey, who's asking about this kid? What do they want to know about, about this guy? And, you know, what do they want to know about a Tyrell Terry? Who's calling about uh, a Nico Mannion? And this way is where they start to gather information. And then of course people are out in public giving interviews and doing those things. And since that didn't happen, teams had no clue what other teams were doing. They were just baffled. And I thought that was a takeaway too, was that's where you saw some of the random player moves uh, and some guys slip in. Other guys, Cole Anthony hasn't been talked about, is inside the top 20 in a long time. He goes 15. Things like that, I think, were uh, the shocking part was that they were kind of expected. The shocking part was, for me, all the lack of movement in the top 15 of the draft and what happened to all these teams wanting to trade down. And as I always say, we hear all this talk about trading down, trading down, trading down. It takes two teams to trade down. Yeah, you can you can want to trade down all you want. Nobody wants to trade up. Can't make the deal. Looking ahead to rookie of the year, mm-hmm. and when I look at rookie of the year, think of someone who's in the position to be in a role where a team then gets into the playoffs or fights for the playoffs a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands enough to do that. Is Anthony Edwards? Probably not with D'Angelo Russell and and Carl Anthony Towns. James Wiseman? No. But I think LaMelo Ball might. The Hornets might not make the playoffs, but given the fact that there's now 9, 10, and you could be playing in those play-in games, there's certainly a better shot of getting into the final eight. Patrick Williams has... Zach Levine there, and Zach Levine's going to get those shots. Isaac Okoro is an, an offense is a is a defensive guy. Maybe I, I started to look at Obi Toppin for for the Knicks because he's going to have opportunity as well. Or maybe it's Killian Hayes in Detroit. So it's you have to look at you can like players, but you also have to look at who's around them as well. If I had to right now, I haven't looked at Rookie of the Year odds, but if I had to put money down on Rookie of the Year. It's either guys who can get you to the playoffs or get like John Morant did or have the highest combined stat totals of points, rebounds, assists, and I think it's going to be LaMelo Ball. It's interesting because that's, that's basically how I'd break it down the this, this same way, and, and you came up with the same names. I think if you were handicapping Rookie of the Year right now, you'd have to say, and I guess we're doing that, so I guess I'm going to have to say that. I just went to Noah Kozlov's 
broadcasting camp. Uh, <laughs> LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball and Obi Toppin. And, and here's the thing also. It's about their energy and enthusiasm and how they're going to change the cultures in both of the locations that they're at. So the Knicks forever, where's our star coming from? Oh, this is so boring. We never end up with the right guy. I remember the year that Steph Curry was drafted. Everybody always wants to talk about the Timberwolves because they took two point guards, Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn, ahead of ahead of Steph. What what people forget is that Jordan Hill was taken right after Steph Curry was was drafted, and everyone had the chance to trade up if they wanted Steph Curry that year. Every team could have done it, and had the Knicks done that, you think about how it would have changed their franchise. And I, I remember how impactful that was. And here, Obi Toppin slides to them. At number eight, and again, because of the age thing, there's no other reason other than the fact that you look at him and say he's 22 years old, but he's just scratching the surface. He's got all the talent in the world. He plays so hard, and he's so explosive, and I feel like the Knicks finally have their star. I think he's the guy most star ready. And then and then you go LaMelo Ball, and no, I was talking to Earl Watson about this, the former Suns coach, former podcast guest on Rejecting the Screen, and he said what blows him away about LaMelo is his work. He said he works harder than Lonzo does. That's a huge difference between the two of them. He said he was there and would witness it where guys would play pickup. And LaMelo is one of those guys who pick up finishes. And then he goes and trains, goes and gets with his trainer and works. And, and it was weird. I got in a back and forth with a guy that I'm buddies with on, on Twitter yesterday who said, hey, you talk about LaMelo's work ethic. Well, everybody is like working really hard. That's at this level. And it's like, yeah, guys are all working hard to play in the league. No doubt. But as you know, Noah, knowing a lot of NBA guys yourself, you know there's a difference. Certain guys put in that work mm-hmm. in the gym, and 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 they want it. They want to be great. So if you're already a six eight point guard who's super talented, had crazy scoring numbers at the high school level, goes overseas, your vision's off the charts. You're you're sweet pea Lloyd Daniels, what he could have mm. become, right? That's my comparison for LaMelo Ball. What 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 he could have become as a 6'8 point guard, LaMelo could be that, but you throw in the work ethic now, and all of a sudden, again, the Hornets not having any juice for the last few years? How exciting is that for him to be in that spot? So I think those are the two guys I would go with as well for Rookie of the Year. NBA draft coverage. There was a lot of it. Tell you what ESPN's was missing. NBA talk. Adam, I did what I usually do during big events, okay. and that's stay off Twitter. Mm. I did not get on Twitter during the NBA draft. I had ESPN on the TV. I early on flipped over to NBA TV briefly. I had Doug Gottlieb. And Jeff Goodman, that crew, Brandon Williams, Mina Smith on stadium on the computer with Shams up there for a little bit. I had Locked On, the Locked On Podcast Network on, and I had B-Ball Breakdown on to watch you with Coach Nick. So I had a a whole bunch of screens. But I was paying most attention to ESPN's coverage because that's where the draft was originating from Mm -hmm. Bristol. And also because you've worked so many years on the NBA draft up there. And what was really missing was actual NBA talk. I love the NBA draft. I love being there and seeing the the pageantry and the celebration. 
And the coverage itself was really an extension of the draft previews that they've done because it was Reese Davis, Jay Williams, Jay Billis, Mike Schmitz. All good at what they do. Mike Schmitz elite at what he does. Mm -hmm. Jay Billis, I enjoy a whole lot more as a game analyst rather than in studio talking about the prospects. And Jay Williams can talk about what is going on in a game, like during halftime, pregame, postgame. But he does not, he cannot be the NBA expert up there because he does not know the ins and outs of all the organizations, cap situations, who's going here, free agent targets. It just doesn't work. So who do you want to see during an NBA draft? I want to see Woj. I want to hear about rumors. And I want to see Bobby Marks at the big board moving around all those different pieces for, well, this is what the Golden State Warriors look like now. Or if this injury to Clay is that significant at the time, they didn't know what could happen. Who could they target? Let's move in cap stuff here and figure that all out. Woj didn't get on until after pick eight. Bobby Marks wasn't on until after pick 13, and that was to talk about Therese Halliburton, who he helped prep for interviews. Not once was there wasn't a big board. <laughs> Woj talked about Obi Toppin a little bit and the A-10 connection, and then, of course, joked about St. Bonaventure. But where were the other ESPN insiders talking about the rumors? Anything that would be out there, hey, so-and-so is having a conversation here. So-and-so had a conversation with this team. When you're watching coverage, you want to make sure as a network that someone watching doesn't feel like they're missing out on other things. I think tweeting pics before they happen is nonsensical. It just, I just don't get it. It's not a, it's not a scoop. I don't, it doesn't do anybody any good. It is a complete. A complete arrogant flex. All right, you got the picks. Great. A minute beforehand. Awesome. It just, <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. It doesn't do mm -hmm. it. On stadiums coverage, they would put up the Shams tweet about the pick and then talk about it. So they were ahead of what was happening on TV. ESPN is not, is not putting up the Woj tweets because they want people sticking around to watch the actual draft. So instead, how about having another insider, if Woj is going to be insistent on tweeting the picks, and that is his focus, and that's where his attention is going to be, you've got to have another insider on there discussing these rumors. And you also, with all these reported trades, and believe it or not, I have more to say about this, with all the reported trades that I know aren't official until after the draft, all of that needs to be spelled out clearly so that everybody at home knows who is actually making that pick and change the logos and let Reese Davis know, don't put him out on an Island and don't say that this pick is this team's pick and then throw it up when you show, Oh, these are all the Sixers picks and show up four guys because they're not that not all four of those guys, yes, technically Sixers picks, but they're not all going to be playing for the Sixers. When you watch something on television, especially these days with so much else going on, do not make me think that I'm missing out on anything else. I am loving this. 
That was a tremendous, you are at your best when you're airing your grievances. And that's pretty much what this podcast is. You and I just complaining the whole time about things we we dislike. I Noah, that was tremendous. And you hit on so many things so concisely, even though you went for about, I don't know, we can check the tape after, but I'd say a, a good well, hold five on. minutes. Hold on. Given your performance last week, the <laughs> egregious amount of talking you did. This, I thought we this, weren't going to talk about that. This just begins to make up for it. Listen, just begin. Listen, I'm I'm telling you though the difference is, unlike you, who's who's miserable when I'm going for a while. I thoroughly enjoyed that that rant <laughs> of yours, and I agree. And you hit on you hit on most of it. A couple things that that I would I say. Have more. To, I oh I know, and I know, and I want to hear it. I I I would say a couple things. First of all. So when I was working at ESPN and and advising and consulting on the draft, I was there before Woj was a part of the ESPN draft coverage. So we remember Woj, first year that he starts scooping all the picks because he's getting them from the agents, right, who are finding out and they need to make sure that things are happening. And in other cases, could be teams too. We we know all that stuff. And I even think people with inside ESPN were giving him things. I no doubt he gets his info from a ton of sources, but I'm just saying the the key is though people have to be notified when they're about to make that pick. So the interesting part is I'm in the control room, and it was fascinating because as people have since complained about it, and then it's become then Woj joined the team, and then he was still scooping them, and then it became a running joke with Woj and and Shams and and the whole deal. But but at that time I'm in there and the producer and director are losing their minds coordinating producer and i'm sitting there following along on twitter like oh, Woj just called our pick two coming up for two picks hey it's seven they're te-. it was incredible and these guys are going nuts and they all thought it, it was only coming internally because what was happening was the league had like a secret private process bruce bernstein our, our good friend was uh, mm-hmm. was actually involved at a certain stage of this but it was a private process in which the selection would be made the player would be notified, commissioner would be notified, what have you. Well, all these things are taking place like very quickly. And so meanwhile, he's knowing two picks before and they're going, who is telling them this? They thought it was part of the broadcast that was that was letting them know. So that was always hysterical. The other thing that I ended up doing at one point during the draft was actually producing those touchscreen segments with Tom Penn, who was you know the cap expert mm-hmm. at the time. And Fran Fraschilla was talking about some of the international players and all and working on that that touchscreen. And it always provided such an interesting perspective. And you think about it like the Warriors last night. Like I, I couldn't I'm so glad that you broke it all down because I couldn't watch with the sound on. I had it on in front of me and watching the ticker, but obviously doing the locked on draft show and then and then B-ball breakdowns draft show. I, I was watching out of the, the corner of my eye, but it's like the Warriors, when they take James Wiseman. There was a lot of talk about the Warriors potentially trading that pick, getting a Wendell Carter, and now you're adding a five-man, and but you're adding other assets. And here are the rookies that played last year because of the situation, as we talked about in the first segment. All those things. There, I wonder, and I still – I don't know if the broadcast touched on this. A lot of people felt – I know Chad Ford felt this way last night – that the Warriors pick was going to be moved by the end of the night. That was the feeling around the league, certainly people within the Warriors organization. Well, how much does – Clay Thompson's injury now impact whether you stay with James Wiseman because he's probably your best offensive option there early in the draft. Right. So Bill has talked about it that, and that was a question 
if if Clay's injury is is significant, what do you do? And and so they discussed that, and Bill has said you just you pick your guy, right? But what I wanted to know was, and, and I wrote down in my notes, what has happened to the Warriors Bulls trade talk? That's what that was a huge headline on Twitter all day and around NBA circles, and it was never it was brought up once that on the broadcast it was said. And there's some talk about them trading, but where was an NBA insider to tell me why right. it broke down? Right. And that's the stuff. That's the stuff that I want to know. And then the other stuff you think about the, where it goes, the next level of the coverage that you talk about, it's one thing to break down who the players are. It's another to think about where they fit in the organization. And, it, and it's a third to just say, Hey, what's their blueprint going forward. You think about the bulls with Patrick Williams. A great question was actually asked during our b-ball breakdown discussion where a fan wanted to know, hey, if the Bulls, who now have a new regime, right, new front office, new head coach, now they take Patrick Williams, who's a guy who didn't start at Florida State, averaged nine points a game, shot 32% from three. You take Patrick Williams, total project. He's not going to play next year. He's not going to impact you for the next few years. You already have guys like Lowry Markinen, Kobe White, who obviously I love and always have to bring that up. You have this young core in place. You take Patrick Williams. It's telling everyone, we feel like we're not competitive for the next three years. What does that mean for Zach Levine's future? Those are the kinds of things that I want to know on a broadcast. And an insider can tell me that, hey, Zach Levine's camp is going to be ticked off about this selection because this doesn't make them better right now. And by the way, a trade up maybe even does that. And that's where the Bulls trade comes in. Or you think about, you mentioned him earlier, Jalen Stick-Smith gets drafted by the Suns at number 10. Chris Paul's brought in. The Suns are trying to win right away with Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton now. We see the experiment in year three. It's like, hey, my question now becomes, if the Suns want to win right away, do they think Jalen Smith is now a key piece on a playoff team, that he's a guy who can block shots, hit threes for you? Like, it's fine if you're going to go and take a player that shocks the world in a sense. But at the same time, I want to know, do you expect him to be a heavy part of your playoff rotation? Is that what the front office is thinking uh, long term? So to that point, Noah, I think teams like you need those insiders. You need that insight in order to have a have great coverage, not to mention what I saw visually. Like what was up with that set? Also, that's that's another one for me. I was yeah. a few more a few more quick points on this. I really like that cameras weren't on the players at their tables because they weren't in a green room. And then you can see them getting the phone calls and start to get excited. So then you do know who's going to be picked next. I, I like that because if you're, if you don't have someone tipping picks on television, or if you're just watching the TV broadcast, then you actually don't know who is, who was going to be picked. So, so I like that. It was another focus and a, and a concerted effort for, by the league or by, by the league and, and the network to focus on the players and you get their and you get their stories. You get the human element. They did it during the NFL draft, too. I do like that as well. I, but I don't like that a reporters and Malik Andrews is doing interviews last night that a reporter these days is almost only considered to be great or get noticed. If you get a kid to cry during an answer. So, yep. so sometimes it just, it just seems just sometimes it just seems forced, but when hearing these stories about, about the players, 
it made me think how quickly once their career gets off to a slow start or things don't work out in that situation, are they just going to start getting crushed? And everyone's going to forget the mountains of adversity that they overcame to get to this point and how, and how great we all felt for them to get to this point. The things that we didn't know about the players themselves. I mean, Okongwu, dealing with the death of his brother and having his mother next to them and, and, and wearing the bracelet and, and thinking about him all the time, that, 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 that stuff is, is unthinkable to me. And I've had friends who have lost siblings too. And it is, I don't know how you get over it. I don't let alone achieve this type of level of success. So I, I, I love the attention on the players, but I do hope then that fans don't automatically end up becoming fanatics and killing a kid for what he's doing on the court while forgetting that, you know what, maybe there is something else going on in his life. James Wiseman had Penny there next to him. There was no <laughs> mention of Penny. <laughs> On the broadcast, like oh. it's like, ah, oh, Penny Hardaway was his coach, this that, but Penny was right there. No, and I wonder, I, I wonder if that's if that's in large part because part of the reason James Wiseman, well, the reason James Wiseman yeah, right. played three games at Memphis is because of Penny Hardaway, and and everything that happened before both of them were at the school, right? And on stadiums coverage, so they would throw up um, Shams, throw up his tweets about about the picks. I really like. I know Gottlieb is a controversial figure. I really like listening to Gottlieb because he can talk about the college players. He can talk about the NBA situations. He just talks to a lot of different people. But what was killer was because it's a stream, anytime it, anytime it froze or you had internet connection issues or, or anything and you had it refresh. And, and I call games for stadium too. And I've brought this up. Anytime you hit refresh, then the video goes into house promos, commercials and it's like two and a half mm-hmm. minutes and when it's time sensitive on a draft you you can only do that you can only do that so much quickly on the nba tv side there were so many inequalities in audio that made it difficult to really lock in no matter what certain guys were saying audio levels were so all over the place because of guys in different locations that it made it that it made it really difficult so yeah, that's my take on ESPN draft coverage from what I watched on TV. Already mentioned how great the lot Dom was and how great you were on D-Ball Breakdown. Well, I appreciate it. The, the one thing I'll say is that, that you just brought up that last point, that, that ESPN better go back and re-examine this because the competition is hot and heavy. I mean, you know, the locked on coverage was incredible. It was awesome to see Chad Ford's triumphant return. Mm-hmm. obviously David Locke, the job he did, and then all the local guys stepping up and, and just providing tremendous insight where, like you said, off the top, you're not getting that anywhere else. Uh, Coach Nick tr- tries to provide a, a different perspective. That was a lot of fun. The two of us going at it for, for quite some time. My wife wasn't so happy that, that I, I missed dinner and didn't tell her, <laughs> I didn't, but I, I couldn't really text her on the phone. I'm watching, I'm watching the show that way. Cause I'm stuck in the garage, but but it's not just there. And like you mentioned, there's stadiums coverage. There's the ringers coverage. It was everybody that I, Matt Babcock, who's been on the, the podcast, mm-hmm. Alex Kennedy, who's been on the podcast. They were doing a, a, a podcast together and, and a draft show. So everyone's trying to provide their own insight, commentary, trying to find their own interesting angles to, to the draft. And it's not just the human interest stories. There's interesting 
stuff about these players and their developments. The fact that like when we talked to Steve Smith, Cole Anthony's coach at Oak Hill, talking about the kind of almost mythical figure he was right there at, in mouth of Wilson, Virginia, being a guy that other guys are, are quitting the team because, because they understand the sheer force of nature that Cole Anthony was to understand how talented he was at that time gives you perspective when you're thinking about him as, as a prospect or the fact that Kyra Lewis reclassified when he's in high school. So it's not just sometimes these, these sob stories that come out that are, that are gut wrenching and heartbreaking, but also the stuff that gives you insight about the player development as time has gone on and what, what made them reach this point. So, um, everyone's sort of providing their own coverage. Glad I could be just a part of some of it, but, um, ESPN better th- figure th- some things out. I know, as you always talk about the NBA was all about I mean, forever. The David Stern motto, we're selling entertainment. Well, you better find a way to make it entertainment that also connects to, <laughs> to basketball fans themselves. And of course, two production guys, go on longer about this than the Clay Thompson injury. <laughs> Make sure you check it out everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network. I promise you no other show will go as deep into NBA draft coverage as we did. So make sure you subscribe, rate, review, share the podcast. We've got all sorts of guests every single week in the Going ISO editions. We'd really do appreciate the support. Everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network, Locked On NBA five days a week, Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Floyd. See how all these new guys are going to fit in fantasy-wise. Hollinger and Duncan and your team every single day on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's what makes it so unique. National perspective and the local angles every single day. On Instagram, sometimes at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. Adam's on Twitter at NaismithLives. Well, how come Coach Nick couldn't do the at NaismithLives as one word? It's like separated. I need to have a talk with forget him about it, that. Forget it. Forget yeah, it. Does that seriously? I mean, come real, on, coach. A, a real tragedy. Egregious. A real tragedy seeing that. Adam's on Twitter at Naismith Lives, all one word, of course, because it's Twitter. <laughs> and I'm at Noah Koslov, C O S L O V. Adam, thanks, pal. You really are the best.